We've entitled the passage before us, Jesus Reviews, and it's good to see that he reviewed, and you know that he does that many times, but he does this with specificity today. I'm amazed, let me give you an opening statement as we come before this passage. I'm amazed as I study this passage in preparation, not just for this week, but for weeks to come, how incredibly naive we really are. I'm talking about believers. How incredibly naive, and also, on the other side of the coin, how gracious and loving and forgiving and considerate our God is, in spite, really, of our foolishness and stupidity. Now, that's quite an opening statement, but just consider, even before we get into the text, some brief examples with Peter and his disciples, and I'll bring us back to the text in a second, with Peter and his disciples, they will be warned that they will deny the Lord Jesus Christ, and within hours that will happen, and they will not believe that it's going to happen, though he tell them. They will be shocked by it. Though first, uh, Second Timothy, excuse me, chapter 3, Verse 1 forward, tell us over and over that perilous times will come. In the last days, men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. They will have the form of godliness and yet deny its power. As it comes upon us, we're wondering what's going on. How is it so? Like we're surprised. When we find in a very familiar passage to us that Romans chapter 1 says that though God has given truth, man suppresses the truth and God's judgment is seen as he turns men over to their sin more and more. They do not want God. So God repeats in that passage three times that he turns them over to more sin and yet we sit back and say, what's going on in the world? I'm talking about Christians. What's happening? What's wrong with America? What, what's wrong in my life? What's wrong in the world? We're naive. We're foolish. Though we're told these things are going to happen, it's almost like we're caught by surprise. It's like reading the scriptures ourselves personally. For example, the book of Proverbs. And we're told over and over that if we follow and stay next to and get close to those who want to lead us into sin, we will fall into sin eventually, and we will pay the consequences. And then we're surprised. How could this happen? How did I get to this stage? Not forgetting, and forgetting, excuse me, where we've come from. Though we understand the scriptures say, what a man reaps, you're going to sow it. You are going to sow it. And it deals with every area of life. Whether you're trying to sow righteousness or sow the world, you're going to reap it. Whether you give generously or you give basically not generously, you'll reap it. And on and on it goes in Scripture. And we get surprised when we're told in Scripture that integrity and reputation is more important 
than the things of the world, and yet we're not concerned until we lose it. And then we wonder, what happened? Now, why introduce all of that? I think you'll see in just a few moments as we look at the text, the very first verse when we get there. But let me bring you back to where we are. Since chapter 13, as we know, if you've been with us the whole time, since chapter 13, verse 1, the Lord Jesus Christ has specifically been talking in the upper room and so forth as it has advanced to his apostles. He's doing this privately. He's had a public ministry. He's taught many. But now he's really concentrating on those who are going to carry on the ministry for him. Those who he's really invested his time and his life in, and he wants them to really be prepared for what's ahead. And recently, in the 15th chapter, as we saw, as we closed out that section, he spoke to them about three specific relationships, because he's going to his father. He's talked to them about the fact of how they would be to be related to him and the father, and that was to abide in him. That was the vine and the branches, which, interestingly enough, to me, the, those who went on the missions trip, that was the theme. They got enough of it from me, and then he went on the trip, and the missions trip, the theme was the vine and the branches. But we need to abide in him while he's back in the Father's presence. What about our relationship with one another? That was the second thing he dealt with. And we ought to love as Christ has loved us. Not just love one another, loosely used term, but we ought to love as Christ has loved us. That's how we ought to get along with one another. But interestingly enough, it's the third relationship that he spends most of the time on. Because he's spending the time on, what about the relationship to the world? And he's pointed out very clearly, the world is going to persecute us. And it is not only going to persecute us, but it's going to hate us. It will hate those that know Christ, and it will persecute you. And then in chapter 15, from verses 18 to verse 25, that was the theme. The world's hatred and persecution, not only of his disciples, but by extension, as we saw, to believers. So we ought not to be surprised. Let me say that again. We ought not to be surprised when persecution and hatred come. In fact, it's a test of really where we're at. But before we get to chapter 16, there was a little bit of a pause, and that was my last message, in verses 26 to 27, because he realized after talking about hatred and persecution, and he's going to continue on with it, that he needed to encourage them. So he encouraged them how to overcome the world. Now we know from 1 John that we overcome the world by our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But what he deals with in this passage, verses 26 and 27, is the bottom line, we overcome the world by the gospel, the presentation of the gospel, the truth of the word of God, how? Through the witness of the Holy Spirit and the witness of the believer. That's verses 26 and 27 of chapter 15. We overcome that persecution by being a witness because God uses that and others are drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ. So where we are now is chapter 16 and he's still having the private conversation with his disciples. Jesus has instructed them that he's going away to his father. He's already, and this is why I say it's a review, he's already instructed them that the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's already instructed them that they are going to face persecution. So in chapter 16, the first 15 verses, he's kind of reviewing that again, but he's going to get very specific with them. But I want to give you the essence because personally, as I've studied it, and as I've seen in many different situations, it's broken up in all different ways, I personally feel that chapter 16, verses 1 through 15 is a unit. And that's why I've read the whole thing. 
And let me give you the outline. And by the way, there's no mystery to this. Follow along in your Bible. You want to know how Pastor Dan prepares? You want to know how this happens and, and so forth? It comes from the text itself. I'm going to give you the outline, and we're only going to deal with the first section today. And it's the statements that I have there in the outline that's in your bulletin. In chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, we find out that he is teaching. Notice the expression, I have spoken to you. And let me give you the key to this outline right away. Watch. He says, I have spoken to you, and he gives the purpose. Why? To keep them from stumbling. And that's what we're going to deal with today. He, he is teaching them. He's instructing them so they will not stumble. The second part of it is verses 5 through 7. That's not for today. And it's, again, his expression. In chapter, five, verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 5, it says this. I am going. So first of all, he's speaking. Then in verse 5, he is going. Why is he going away? Verse 7, because it's to their advantage. So first of all, he's going to teach them so they don't stumble. Secondly, he is going to go away because it's to their advantage. Thirdly, he will send someone. It's obviously the Holy Spirit. You'll notice that when you get down to verses 7 through 9. He says, I will send him. So he's teaching, then he's going, and then he is going to send. And why is he going to send the, <clears throat> excuse me, the Holy Spirit? <clears throat> the text tells us to convict the world. To convict the world. And then in the last section, verses 12 through 15, I believe he summarizes it, he wraps it up and says, I have more to say to you in verse 12. So he's speaking to them. He will then go away. He will then send the Holy Spirit. And then later, he has more to say. And why is he not telling them now? He tells you. Because you cannot bear it now. That is the outline of chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. He is speaking. He is going. He is sending. He has many more things to say. Why is he speaking? He doesn't want them to stumble. Why is he going away? It's for their advantage. Why is he sending the Holy Spirit? To convict the world. Why is he not teaching them more? They cannot handle it at this time. And that is the essence of what's going on as he reviews with specificity. So let's deal with the first four verses of the first section. He is teaching verses 1 through 4. You can look at the verses. I already read them. In this passage, I want to point this out right away. It is fine for you and I, right here today, it is fine for you and I to hear that, just like he taught them in chapter 15, verses 18 to 25, persecution is coming. And you and I have sat here many a time, or read our Bible, and read in the scriptures that Persecution will come to Christians. If you live godly, you will face persecution. Fine. And what does it mean to us? Very little. Very little. But when it is given specifics, and when it is turned to us, when it is turned around and it's said, you will now face this, it becomes a different issue. And the situation is about to change for his disciples. To this point, to understand chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, to this point, the focus of attention and the object of persecution and attack has been who? Jesus Christ. Turn with me to chapter 5, verse 16. 
Stay right here, just in John. Chapter 5, verse 16. Watch. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting who? Help me. Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath day. Jump down to verse 18. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill who? Him, Jesus. Why? Because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but he also was calling God his own Father, making himself equal to God. Now, we've dealt with that text. Go to chapter 7, verse 1. After these, after these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, and he was unwilling to walk in Judea. Why? Because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Chapter 18, where we just were, uh, where we will be eventually, but chapter 18, look at this. Verses 7 and 8. Therefore he again asked them, Whom do ye seek? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these go their way. He will, he's concerned about the disciples. Where is the focus of attention? Jesus of Nazareth. Everything has been focused on him. So his apostles have been around him. They've now been instructed publicly. They're being instructed privately. And now he's just instructed them in chapter 15 that they will face persecution. But all they have seen is the focus of attention going on Jesus Christ. And they've heard persecution is coming. Fine. But it's going to change. It will continue to be the focus of attention on Jesus Christ for a day or two. But it is going to move from Jesus Christ to them. They are going to see that the persecution is going to be directed to them. So he starts off in chapter 16, verse 1, by saying, These things I have spoken. What things? About the persecution. And he hasn't given them specifics. He just says that there's going to be persecution that's coming from the world. And they sense, okay, well, it's coming to them, but in what way? And now he's going to expand on it. But before he does... He wants to warn them the biggest danger. Notice what he says. I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. What is the biggest danger that his disciples were facing? It is not the persecution. Did you catch that? It's not the persecution. It is not even being put to death. The biggest danger that his disciples are going to face is that they would be caught by surprise when it comes, even though he's been teaching them. This is amazing. He's been teaching them and telling them persecution is going to come, and then how can you possibly get in it and then get surprised by it? Very easy. Let me give you an example that we'll see later. How about Peter? Oh, if everybody else denies you and runs away, I will be here. Peter, tonight you're going to die me three times. Yeah, right. And then it happened. And it wasn't until after it happened that he wept because he continued to deny even though he had just been told that's what he's going to do. He does not want them to be caught by surprise. Why? What happens when you're caught by surprise with anything? You become disillusioned. What happens? You panic. You desert. You fall away. You run away or you quit. I didn't know I was in it for this. 
That's what his concern is. His biggest concern with them, that's why he tells them right away, I'm telling you these things specifically so that you will not stumble. Now, it's interesting. There's the word stumble. You've heard that before. Sometimes this word stumble is translated offend. Sometimes this word stumble is translated to cause another to stumble. But it's also translated in English sometimes incorrectly by the way, by the words fall away. Turn with me to Mark chapter 14 for a second. Mark chapter 14. And I'll tell you what the word means. He wants to warn them because persecution is going to come to them specifically, and that's not the biggest issue. The biggest issue is what they are going to do when the persecution comes. And in Mark chapter 14, uh, let's get down to verse 27. And here you'll see it translated fall away in the New American Standard. It says, And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. Why? Because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. See, they're going to run away. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said unto him, his Peter, even though all may fall away or stumble, yet I will not. Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you, you, yourself, will deny me three times. But he kept saying, you know, instantly his confidence. You see, here's the Lord instructing his disciples, you've seen me be persecuted back in chapter 16. It's going to turn to you. And when it now becomes where the rubber meets the road, my concern is not that you're being persecuted. My concern is not that you might even be killed, as you'll see in just a moment. My concern is what you're going to do, that you won't be surprised. And let me just pause for a second and ask you this by application. How many times have you gotten into a trial in your life and acted like it was a big surprise? Why? Why is this happening to me? And yet you've read the scriptures many times. Why is it that this, uh, I'm, I'm trying to live a godly life, and why is it my family doesn't want to believe? Why is it I'm trying to live a, a, a godly life and my employer doesn't appreciate my testimony? Why is it when I bring the gospel to somebody that they just don't react properly? Why are these trials in my life? And you've read over and over and over again, for example, James chapter 1, that it is through various diverse trials that God matures you. And then when you get into the trial, you fall apart. You see? We're gullible. We're naive. And what happens is Jesus Christ is saying to them, right, as he's about to get into the specifics and say, you've seen the persecution with me. No, you're going to be persecuted, and I don't want you to stumble. That word literally comes from the, and I'll give you exactly where it comes from. It comes from the meaning of the trigger stick. Now, that doesn't mean much to you, which causes a trap to be shut. In other words, if you set a trap for an animal and so forth, when they step on that trigger, it closes. And all of a sudden, they're surprised. They've come in to eat food. They see the trap. They step on it. It closes, and it's like, what happened? He says, I don't want that to happen to you. 
I don't want it to be that when you're in the trial, you all of a sudden turn around and say, where did that come from? Why did that happen? And become a victim of surprise, which means they're going to desert, just like Peter did, and the disciples, and run away and desert the things of Christ. He wants them to build the defense. He wants them to know. Jesus wants them to know exactly what will happen. So he says, I don't want you to be surprised. And he gets very specific in verse 2. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue. And then he says, they will also kill you because everyone who kills you will be thinking he's doing God's service. And I'll deal with that in just a second. What is going to happen to them specifically? They will be cast out of the synagogue, number one. And number two, they will lose their lives. If I stopped right there, many Christians would be surprised by that. You mean I could lose my life? I could be cast out by others? I'm talking about application here. Well, I don't know if that's what I'm really in this for. Well, this isn't a matter of being in anything. It's a matter of being saved by grace. It's a matter of belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ. And persecution is going to come. Think about this. Let's talk about this first one. The concept of being cast out of the synagogue. What do you really think would be the desire of the apostles? Might it be this? That they would love to see their family, their friends, their co-workers, and others come to respond to the gospel and to know the same Savior that they know? I've got to believe it is. That's got to be their desire. They're going to preach the gospel because they've been told to, and their desire is to see their family. Evidence of that is, you see it with the apostles, right? What happens when one hears the message? He runs and gets his brother and says, hey, I think we found the Messiah. Come and see. Go to another one. Come and see. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come on, see. Right back to the family. They're no different from you or me. That's their desire. So here they have a desire to see their family come to know Christ, for them to get saved, if you will, and yet what's going to happen? They are going to cut them off. They are going to cast them out. They will face excommunication from the synagogue. What does that mean to them? You and I don't go to a synagogue. It means everything. It means that they can't go to worship anymore. All they've known is to go to the synagogue to worship. And they can't even go with their family to worship anymore. They, they're outcasts. What does it mean? Religious separation. The family wants nothing to do with them. Social isolation. Embarrassment. Family disownment. That does, those things sound familiar? Maybe none of you have experienced that. But oftentimes when you come to Christ and you want to go back and tell your family they need to get saved, first of all, they look at it as you've deserted my religion. Or you looked at it as an outcast. Something's wrong. You want to give them the gospel. They don't want to listen to it. And the world, do you think the world's just going to take you in and accept you because you belong to Christ? The closer you look like the world, the world will take you. The more you look like Christ, they're going to want nothing to do with you, folks. Nothing. 
Why do you think Christ says, you make yourself a friend with the world, you've made yourself an enemy of Christ? Oftentimes, we want to be friends with the world and not get close to Christ. He's telling them, it's turning. You are going to face specific persecution. Let me tell you what it is going to be. You will be cast out by the very ones you love. Are you ready for that? That's what he says. You're going to be rejected. You will be considered a traitor of the faith. I had this conversation with family members. Many of you know my background. When I was young, brought up Roman Catholic before I came to know the Lord. And what happened when I knew the Lord, I had a zeal and wanted to tell everyone in the family. And that came out. You've turned on your religion. You've turned away from the faith. They were facing it worse. Their life was on the line. Turn with me to John chapter 9. Remember this? See what it meant to be cast out of the synagogue? Watch. This is the man born blind. You remember we studied the story. Beginning in verse 18. And the Jews then did not believe it of him, that is, that the man was actually able to see now, that he had been blind and had received sight, until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight. And they questioned him, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? Then how does he see? And you notice his courageous parents. His parents answered and said, we know that this is our son. We know that he was born blind. But how he sees, we have no idea. We do not know. Well, who opened his eyes? We do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. What did his parents do? Before I get to verse 22, they deserted their child. Why? Look at verse 22. His parents said this. There's no guessing here. Because they were afraid of the Jews. Why? For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be the Christ, that is Jesus, watch, he was to be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he's of age, go ask him. They were ready to desert their son. Imagine that, a child born blind. You would think the most celebratory thing in the family would be that he could see. He sees, Jesus did it, and because Jesus did it, and they could be cast out of the synagogue, they're now willing to throw their son aside because they won't be cast out of sin. That's what it meant when we're talking about in chapter 16, verse 1, you'd be cast out of the synagogue. His disciples are being told that. I don't want you to be caught by surprise. And again, by application. Why is it that you and I are caught by surprise when you go to a family member and they don't want to hear the gospel? Why is if something mysterious happened? We shouldn't be caught by that. The world doesn't want Christ. Serious things would happen. Ridicule, beatings, arrests. What's happened? People love the world. They don't love Christ. You will face, by application here, you and I will face rejection from family, rejection from religions, rejection from friends. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. This is the rubber that meets the road here in chapter 16. Matthew chapter 10, tough verses. Look at verse 34 to 37. 
Do you think that I came to bring peace on the earth? Let me pause there for a second. I really believe that honestly, we need to be careful how we present the gospel because sometimes we present it to the unsaved this way. Don't you want to go to heaven? You're not going to meet too many people that are going to say no. Uh, don't you want to have everything good in your life? Well, add Jesus. Well, who wouldn't want that? I don't know how many people in witnessing take these verses to the unsaved and say, how about this one? I didn't come to bring peace in the earth. Is that what you really think? Verse 34. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against his mother and her daughter-in-law against his mother-in-law. And a man's enemies, watch this, will be the members of his household. You see chapter 16, verse 1? He says, I'm telling you this so you don't get surprised. Why are you surprised when your family rejects you if you know Christ? But then here's the test, verse 37. He who loves his father or his mother more than he loves me is not worthy of me. Talk about a test of discipleship, a true test of Christianity. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Verse 38 he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. That's pretty self-explanatory and pretty open about the Lord in saying it to them. Amazing. Go back to chapter 16. He doesn't want them to stumble. Why? Because some of them are going to be rejected by their own family. Some of them are going to be rejected by society. Some of them are going to be rejected by religious leaders. Some of them are going to be rejected by the very people they work with. And I say to you by extension, that is also true with us. And notice this, he doesn't want them to be caught off guard. We shouldn't be either. We shouldn't be either. Next one's amazing. The second one is, he says, but the hour is coming for everyone who kills you. Will they die? The answer is yes. Did many of them die? Yes. Where, have there been martyrs in the faith? Yes. Is it possible? Unlikely, but is it possible that you will die knowing Christ and that will cost you your life? Yes. Are you ready? He didn't want them to be caught by surprise. This is amazing, though. Watch with this. He said they will kill you and then he says this, to think that he is offering service to God. Catch that? The motivation behind their being put to death was, number one, people thought they were worshiping. That's what the term means. When it says there that they are doing service to God, that is the term that's used in Hebrews where it says that we had to offer up service to Christ. It's also another familiar passage, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, which you can probably quote. And it's the concept of worshiping. That's our reasonable service or our reasonable worship. They believe in the name of God that they are doing this for God. That's frightening. But the illustration is, go back to the responsive reading. Go to Acts chapter 26. I want you to see how real this is. Acts chapter 26, verses 9 to 11. 
We read verses 1 to 11, but I just want to center in on it. Notice in verse 9. Paul said this. So, I, so then, I thought to myself that I had, done, had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison, Paul was involved in this. Having received authority from the chief priest, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them often in all times in the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme and being furiously engaged, uh, enraged, excuse me, at them, I kept pursuing them even into foreign cities. Why did Paul do that? He did it in the name of God. In the name of God. What's frightening about this passage is that's what has happened throughout history, folks, and he wanted his disciples to know that. Who are the ones that will attack? Religion. Religious leaders. It's happening today. Why do you think the suicide bombers, they are doing it in the name of God. Now it's their God, but they're doing it in the name of God. And if you were to go back through history, some of it's rather interesting when you read it. There was a situation with one of, you know, if you ever read Fox's books of martyrs, it's horrendous, the stuff that happened to true believers. But one case in particular stands out. There was one that was martyred for Christ, and while they were burning him at the stake, they gave a sermon because they thought it pleased God, and it was the believer that was dying. The minute you stand for the things of God, and you stand for this book, and you stand by what God says that is contrary even to the religions of the world, religions will stand against you. And they won't like it if you are not politically correct. That is a test of your Christianity. Whether or not you're going to face that persecution and realize that you may be persecuted and they're going to say they're doing it in the name of God. His disciples faced that. They knew the, Jesus was the Messiah and they would give of their lives. And the Jews would be rejoicing, not only because they cast him out of the synagogues, but the Jews would be rejoicing because they thought that they killed him and did God's service in doing it. But the next part is the frightening part. Notice this, verse 3. These things they will do, why? Because they have not, what? Known the Father of me. That's absolutely frightening. Now, I said this in a message just a couple of weeks ago. And I don't know how many of you really grasped it. Don't be fooled when someone says they know God or they use the name of God. The Jews were using the name of God, but they didn't know the one true God. Don't be fooled because somebody dresses up in religious paraphernalia or a suit. Don't be fooled by that. Don't be fooled because somebody says they came in the name of God. Check it out. You should check out everything that I say from the pulpit. 
There should be nothing that I believe it doesn't check out. Be like the Bereans. Check it out to see if it's true. People hear the name of God and all of a sudden they think the person's a believer. Or a religious person gives some type of service and because the name of God is mentioned they think it's wonderful. Check it out. Jesus Christ is saying, you've seen the persecution coming on me. It's coming directly to you. You're going to be thrown out of the synagogue. Total isolation. We dealt with that. And you're even going to lose your life, and they're going to say they're doing it to please God when they don't even know who I am. There's many people that profess the name of God. There could be people in this room that are professing the name of Jesus Christ and do not know him. God's desire is that we know him, and he wants his disciples to know that. Further, in verse 4, he's telling them this so they'll remember it. Verse 4, But these things I have spoken to you, so that when their hour comes... Now, what's he talking about, their hour? Jesus had his hour. This is the hour in which the persecutors are going to come on the disciples, the apostles specifically. And he says, I don't want you to be surprised, verse 1. And he says this, that you may remember that I told you of them. We need to remember. Oh, how naive we are. Isn't it amazing? Let me refer to Peter for a second before I turn it to us. Isn't it amazing? Even in this text, he's telling them, I don't want you to be surprised. I don't want you to stumble. I want you to remember and hours from now, they're all going to scatter. As soon as the religious leaders and the soldiers take Christ, they will forget everything they have been told. Hours from now, Peter, who just said to the Lord, though everybody else deserts you, I will not deny you, the Jesus Christ turns to him and says, Peter, before the crack goes three times, you're going to deny me twice. Not twice, you'll deny me three times. Not me, Lord. And just hours from then, he will forget it. Before we go throwing stones, let me ask you this. How often, this is conviction to me, how often have you read the word of God and moments after reading the word of God forgot everything that you just read. You read in scripture, only let that which comes out of your mouth be profitable and needful for the moment. Have your devotions close in prayer, and five minutes later one of your children come in and you blow up at them. Or you walk away from your devotions and you meet somebody in the office, and you get nothing but criticism. You just had your devotions. You read in the word, love your spouse, and all of a sudden you remember everything you don't like about what your spouse does. Five minutes later. You read, speak the truth in love, and within moments, look for ways that you can deceive somebody. You don't do those things? We read in the word of God, serve one another, 
Be subject one to another. Highly esteemed. Don't be selfish. Look out for other people's interests. You walk away from reading Philippians, and within minutes, think about yourself. We read in scriptures, lay up yourself treasures in heaven. Yes. And 15 minutes later are consumed with covetousness about what I can get in this world. You see, we're no different. He says, I'm telling you this because I want you to remember it's coming. And I don't want you to be surprised. And I want you to remember why. So that we can browbeat ourselves? No, because Jesus Christ ultimately wants them to get victory. And that's true with us. And they did. They failed. And praise God, even as Chris mentioned this morning, we fail every day. Praise God he doesn't throw us aside. He never forsakes us. He never will turn his love away from us. Ever. Death doesn't separate it. Persecution doesn't separate it. That's all Romans chapter 8. But he still wants us to remember. And that's why we're going to need the Holy Spirit. That's why they're going to need the Holy Spirit. Because on their own, they will fail. I can't tell you a number of times I've been in devotions or in studying. And moments after I've studied, something's come up. And it's like it caught me by surprise. My reaction was terrible. And I turned back and said, what, what was all that studying about? Praise God, he forgives. But you see, we're able to look and notice other people, and we forget in our own lives that we're just like the disciples. And we ought not to be kept by surprise. What do we want to take away from this? Number one, a mandate to know God's word, because they needed to know what Jesus Christ was teaching them. Second, don't rely on your own power. They could not rely on their own power. Peter was the one that took the lead. Biggest one to point out as a failure. Don't be surprised when tribulation comes if you're living for God. Don't get overconfident as a Christian. Be ready to face persecution. Be ready to face trials in your life, just like they needed to be ready. But also remember what he's taught them. Uh, continue to abide in me and let my word abide in you. That's what his comfort has been to them. That's why he's telling them, I don't want you, I want to keep you from stumbling. I want you to remember. And then he closes with, these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. In other words, why does he bring that up? I'm about to leave you. We're only hours away. And I want you to be prepared for what you're going to face. Get into the word of God and read it. Come to the services and, and study the word of God. Go to Bible studies and all the other things you're doing, and that's wonderful. But that, my friend, is to prepare you for what you're going to face if you belong to Christ. And don't be surprised. Don't be surprised at family. Don't be surprised at friends. Don't be surprised at work. But also don't run away. And remember that Christ will never leave us and never forsake them forsake us. In fact, the next thing he's going to get into is I have to go away because it's going to be more beneficial for you when I'm gone. So as disciples, persecution's coming. What about from you and I? It will come to us personally. All who live godly will face persecution. But that is not to discourage us. It's to encourage us because the Lord Jesus Christ will never forsake us. He warns us that it's going to come. He uses it 
to mature us, to help us to grow, and to give him more glory. Might God give us the strength even personally to remember so that when persecution comes our way, that we don't scatter, that we pursue on and we press on. By God's grace, the disciples, as we know, will turn around. And that's God's desire for us, that we walk with him and bring him glory. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father in God, I thank you and praise you that though you warned the disciples over and over again, they act as if they were surprised when persecution came. They forgot. They scattered. But I thank you, Father, you never forsook them. You drew them back. That, Father, they went on to live godly lives to the glory of God. Father, how often we as true saints, those who have trusted in Christ, read the word, study the word together, and then walk away from it as if we never read it. Just like James says, we forget what we've read, and rather than be doers of the word, we become hearers only. Help us, Father, to be doers. Help us, Father, to be ready to face persecution so that when it does come, we're not surprised. But help us to be ever thankful for the empowering Holy Spirit that you've given to every believer. And I pray, Father, you'd help us to rest in his strength to have victory in our lives. I also pray, Father, that if there be anybody here that does not know Christ, that they would see that they need the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Without Christ, they won't first face persecution from the world, but they will face eternal judgment. And I pray that they would be drawn to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And that, Father, as we give it forth as believers, we would not shy away knowing that, as we have seen, as the, fruit go, the seed goes forth, that you continue to build your church and draw others to the gospel of Christ. Thank you for this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.